Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's your buddy Gavin, filibuster freestyle. We are back after, I don't know, like a week, nine, eight, nine days of hiatus. Hit you with a bunch of pods earlier in the month of May, though, and now we're into June, and uh, we got a lot coming up this week, this weekend. I'm going to binge it so that you can binge it, because that's what we do. Dan O'Brien of Wine Wall and Dragons Game of Thrones fame is coming up. We're not going to talk about Game of Thrones, because unfortunately, they're still like a year away. From putting out the final season. Anyway, here comes the theme song. I'm gonna enjoy it live with you, and then we'll get to Dan. Anytime now. Watch out for the filibuster. That's right, baby. Live opens are back. The people have spoken. The people really enjoy it. It's your buddy Gavin on the filibuster freestyle. All right, my lords, ladies, and lieges, it gives me great pleasure, as I mentioned during the preview and the theme song, to bring back the Wine Wall and Dragons expert, and an expert on so many things, live from Philadelphia, Dan O'Brien. What's up, my man? Thank you. Thank you for, so much for having me. Uh, nothing, nothing going on here, but a lot going on in the world, and, and that's why we're here today. That's the biz that we got to get down to. A lot going on in the world. Um, really quickly... Today is day, I believe it's June 8th. Unfortunately, the great Anthony Bourdain uh, has passed away, and we'll get into that. We are going to touch yes. on it. We're sad about it. Um, I will try to, in the, in the show notes, if people really want to only hear that part of the show for some odd reason, not that you and I knew the man, we'll, we'll get that towards the end. But before yeah. that, in, fil- in filibuster freestyle fashion, we want to talk about a couple of hot topics that really involve a couple of your favorite sports teams, but also in popular culture. So the 76ers basketball franchise of Philadelphia, and of course the Philadelphia Eagles are beefing with the president, Donald J. Trumpface. Now, before before all that, uh, pundit of the show, Cindy Harrington, basically was texting me during our very brief pre-show meeting here in the filibuster freestyle. But but very thorough. Very thorough. And I I mentioned to you that that Cindy... um, she has a knack, much like Dan Ruddle, our good friend does, of texting um, right before and during podcasts to the point where sometimes our technology fails because of their exuberance to text into the show. Yeah. I, I, will, I will say one thing in Cindy's defense. When Dan Ruddle is texting us, he knows full well we are recording a podcast as he is texting us and just doesn't care. Cindy had no idea. We That's right. With, with Cindy, it's an accident. With Dan, it's on purpose. Yes. Yeah. But... Cindy did say, oh, are you, t- are you going to podcast with Dan O'Brien? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, can you ask a question for him or of him for me? And so I don't even know what this means, Dan, because I don't watch this show. But she wants to know, and this is from the show Below Deck. Okay. Uh, what do you think of ja- Joao, J-O-A-O? Jao. Jao. What do you think of Jao? Inquiring minds want to know. Jao is... Somebody, and this is my opinion only. I don't know him personally. Yep. Uh, Zhao is somebody that has date raped multiple people, most likely already. Ooh. Uh, and until he is caught, he will probably continue to do that. It's not going to end well for Zhao. Uh, for a little background for you, not to get into too deep, he's a he's a fellow from Zimbabwe who is working on uh, the boat. He he is a handsome guy. He's got a little bit of charisma. Um, and he flirts with everything that moves to an uncomfortable degree. Um, and I've only seen him for like three episodes, and he's, it's just gross and creep. He's a, he's a total creeper. 
that's basically him. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So, Cindy, there's your answer. You know, Uh, I love how Cindy just knew that I would know who you're talking about. Yep, yep. She's in. She's in deep with you on uh, the below deck Mediterranean or below deck regular or whatever the hell below deck you yeah, guys I'm are watching. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. That's okay. I, do know that. I mean, you're married to the great, the great reality TV pundit Daryl O'Brien. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna have to watch a little reality TV to have a good relationship, and we appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I used to be go around to, to cocktail parties and other fancy soirees, and I'd be introduced as, oh, this is the co-host of Wine Wall and Dragons and Bill Buster Freestyle, and now I'm just the. The husband of the Southern Charm recap, Dara Ritchie O'Brien. Correct, correct. And really quickly, is your uh, you're gonna go? You're not going in and out, but in some points you're you're more clear than others. Is there something covering the uh, the microphone of your? Who knows? Let me do a little technical. Yeah, move it around a little bit because it's the freestyle. Because it's actually Friday, we're not gonna edit it out. We're gonna keep it rolling. I mean, I can hear you, but at certain points I can hear you better. That's all. All right. All right. How's that? It's really good. Whatever you're doing there. We'll just, we'll just keep it like this. Keep it like that. I'll look at the inside of your hand and, and that'll be great. Um, we don't, you know, who needs to have visual cues? It's all good. We were old, we're old pros. All right, so 76ers. First of all, Philadelphia 76ers, much maligned for a long time by former general manager Sam Hinkie for basically mm-hmm. trying to stink for multiple years, which he was calling the process, a.k.a. the process of getting better. Your most beloved player, and arguably your best player, or at least your best big man for sure, Joel Embiid, nicknamed himself the process, told you all to trust the process. And the Sixers had a really good season, a breakout season. In fact, people were shocked that they didn't get by the Celtics. And at some point, people were saying, because the Cavs didn't look very good in their first-round series against the Pacers, that the Sixers might be the favorites to win the East. And the guy who kind of came in and has been taking credit for all this is as of today, or as of last night, the former president, the replacement of Sir Sam Hinkie, Brian Colangelo. And why don't you tell the folks what's been going on with Brian Colangelo in the past few weeks, Dan? Yeah, I and I don't want to get in. I'm not going to get into any X's or X's or O's here. That's not what this podcast. Is no, about. this is uh, not for basketball dorks. This is for gossip, gossip, and and, and whatever. This is about what's been lighting up social media, at least in the Sixers Twitter world. And uh, you know, thanks to the Ringers website. Uh, a pretty uh, it became a big national story, I think, really big in the O'Brien household. Um, and I, I think to understand the whole thing, you, you have to let me give you the backstory about how yeah. the GM Brian Colangelo came to power. You you alluded to it a little bit with Sam Hinkie. Um, he was a, an, a numbers guy, not a basketball guy, who was hired about five years ago uh, to to rebuild the Sixers team, and he basically said. My job is I'm going to burn it to the ground, collect as many assets as possible so we can get really good instead of just being a middling team and like picking at number 16 and you're not going to you're not going to get a superstar that way. Yeah. Um, and he did exactly what he said he was going to do and that he had three seasons in a row where they had uh, um, like 10 wins, 11 wins. They were the worst team in the league by far. It was kind of an embarrassment, but I'll say uh, nationally it was an embarrassment Internally in the city, I think it was split 50-50. I think half the city was completely fine with what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, the other half was obviously frustrated, and that's fine. There's there's an argument to be made for both sides. Um, but right on the cusp of these three years uh, and, and being able to start utilizing all these assets that he's collected, he yeah. was drafting injured players that wouldn't play for a little while. He was getting number one picks down the line. Um and right on the cusp of being able to utilize all these things, 
the NBA put pressure on the Sixers ownership because it, a it was a bad look to have a team that was so yeah, non-competitive, blatantly trying to not win. They was sort of trying to game the system so they could keep getting top picks, collect top picks, and eventually it would pay off. Uh, and people were mad about that. Also, owners were mad about uh, they couldn't draw for the games where they were playing the Sixers. Their home crowds wouldn't come to see the Sixers. Yeah, because they weren't competitive games, right. Yeah, nobody nobody cared to go see a a Sixers team where all 12 of the players, none of them were necessarily NBA caliber. Um, So the NBA stepped in and sort of forced the hand of the owners of the Sixers to hire Jerry Colangelo, who was a really respected basketball guy, was the GM in the Phoenix Suns for a couple of decades, I believe. Put Um, together the dream team, I think, originally, the original dream team. Put together the Dream Team, ran USA Basketball uh, for the Olympics uh, for for years and years. Hold on, you might be getting some back noise here. Sorry about that. So I'm hiding in my son's room because it's the only quiet place in the house, but I have to crack a window or I'll pass out. So That's fair. Gonna, don't worry about that. Yeah. I don't want you to pass um, out. You'll be a better guest if you're if you're conscious. It's a, uh, yeah, yeah. It would make for a good story, though. <laughs> All right, so Jerry Colangelo comes in. He's hired to sort of right the ship, and uh, I'm doing air quotes, kind of help Sam, Ham, uh, Ham Sinky. Sam Hinky, um, you know. Can I stop you for a second? Ham Sinky, fake band name of the week. Ham Sinky, go ahead. That, that Ham Sinky is actually in the Sixers Twitter world, one of the uh, very big Twitter handles. Really? That's awesome. Okay, yeah. cool. Cool. <laughs> Shout out to Ham um, Sinky. Yeah. Uh, and so Jerry Colangelo came in and. He sort of helped him write. They wanted to write the ship a little more, a little more quickly than uh, what they originally thought. Uh, a few months later, I'm not sure exactly the t- timeline. I don't know if it was two months, six months, eight months. They ha- they brought in um, Brian Colangelo, Jerry's son, to also help. Uh, and then it became immediately clear that Brian was being groomed to be the next GM. When that became the case. Sam Hinkie resigned yep. uh, with, with like two months left in the season. Within 24 hours, they gave Brian Colangelo the job. Uh, and the Sixers front office said that they interviewed 75 candidates in that 24 hours, which everybody knows is ridiculous. Yeah, as somebody who's done a couple major searches at my employer this year, that's, that's not possible. But go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was sort of seen by a lot of people who follow the Sixers as like a hostile take, takeover yes. of the organization yes. from the Colangelo's and NBA basketball. So Brian Colangelo came in with not a lot of love, um, and he's been reaping some of the, the benefits that he didn't necessarily uh, should shouldn't be the benefit benefactor of. Right, um, and it doesn't. All, it also doesn't help that he looks like the villain in like a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, he wears. Uh, a, I mean, he just does. He just, I'm not even going to try to do justice to it because. You know, my air quotes and my descriptions won't matter. It's a, it's a, it's a podcast, folks. Look them up. Google it. Anyway. Yeah. He kind of he looks like the villain in a movie. Yeah. But, and so the best part is, you know, the Sixers have this breakout, breakout year this year. It's all good feelings, all love. All, uh, like you said, Joel Embiid, who I will say is unquestionably the most beloved Sixer. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. You can argue whether Ben Simmons has a higher ceiling and will be better at the end of the day. But I don't think... Anybody will be more beloved than Joel Embiid is. Uh, but to, we had this situation where we have a GM who we didn't want who took over from a guy who was doing something very interesting and very different, and it seems to have been paying off. Yep. Uh, and you come to the season, like you said, you have a, a fantastic season. It ended maybe a little prematurely against the Celtics. We don't have to get into that. Like I said, we're not doing X's nose tonight. Right. Uh, and the. 
the Ringer last, was it Monday or Tuesday night? I think it was last. I'm going to say Tuesday because what I believe the Ringer did was you had the, uh, the Celtics game seven on Sunday night against the Cavs. You had the Rockets played the Warriors the next night, game seven, in the Western Conference Finals. And then you had a dead day. You had a night with nothing. And the Ringer decided uh, to post. so clever. The Ringer decided they were going to make the non-basketball night a big basketball night by publishing this expose that Brian Colangelo may or may not have had up to five burner Twitter accounts, which he used to, one, crush Sam Hankey, two, yeah. crush some of his own players, and yeah. three, prop up some of his own moves. Um, yeah. And so you could take it from there, but but that's the express version. And so the ringer did a big expose, and he had up to five accounts that all kind of, you know, the Twitter, the Twitterati, and the Twitter universe, and the Twitter sleuths went out there, and they basically did all this legwork to say, "Holy crap, this guy might have five burners." Yeah, that, it was. I was sitting there Tuesday night, just scrolling through Twitter. Mind your own business. Yeah, minding my own biz, uh, watching whatever I was watching on television, and then this. This comes across the Twitter feed, and it blew up, at least among my Philadelphia sports Twitter. Yeah. Within a, it was about nine thirty at night, I think, um, nine thirty or ten. After I read the whole article, it was a little after ten, I was very close to waking up my wife to tell her about the story. It was so perplexing to me. Yes, um, but I, I didn't make that mistake this time. I, I've I just thought back to too many times where I've tried to explain the last couple of years of the Sixers news to her with her glassy dead-eyed stare back to me where she totally zoned out so i didn't want to wake <laughs> her up for this Fair. um but it, it was it was insanity you, you were just reading about this guy who might have five different accounts and people all of a sudden all of sixers twitter starts doing deep dives on all these accounts and they're finding connections they're finding these similar accounts on uh reddit pages and on discus pages uh of links to different people who are and they're they're connected by the same phone number that they registered with and so it wasn't it isn't even just these five twitter accounts it went to like the the message boards of different yeah sure. um so essentially it it's a conspiracy all- i mean it's, it's some type it's some type of a conspiracy even if it's only one person it's to make this person yeah. look really good and so it's trying to we figure out immediately and the the ringer did a great job of the article the evidence was circumstantial but very compelling um, and then within 24 hours somebody, I, let me give a shout out actually to this person on Twitter, it was at Legsanity, L-E-G-S-A-N-I-T-Y somebody at Sixers Twitter makes the connection and provides the evidence that this is connected to the wife um, he does so by finding out that three of the accounts end in the same two digits of her cell phone number yep. <laughs> uh, and that they, they reference a couple of these things over the last few years reference certain things that would be uh, only a, a native Italian would know, and uh, and Brian Colangelo's wife is a native Italian from Italy. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it, it was very some very compelling, again circumstantial but compelling evidence, uh, and that but that was found out within 24 hours. So it just became was this him or was it her? Uh, a day after the article, and then we waited for eight days. Right? There, was not, there wasn't really any news. They just sat there. Yeah, the I mean, you and I talked about this a few days ago, and we, we figured he'd be gone, and then he finally was gone, I guess, yesterday. He resigned. They parted ways. Yeah, and, and I think the reason everybody was so uh, anxious to have it over with is, A, they didn't like the guy to begin with. People were kind of looking for an excuse. Yeah. Um, he hasn't necessarily done anything terribly egregious uh, as the GM, but he, hasn't, he had a lot of assets, and he hasn't done much with it either. 
Um, right. Well, also, this would be terribly egregious in theory, in terms of violating public trust or team yeah, trust. Far, this totally is, but like as far as like making trades or basketball. Yeah, he's been like average to like pulseless, but like not pulseless in a bad way. Just hasn't done much yet. Yeah, mediocre. Uh, so people aren't necessarily eager to keep him, uh, but at the same time, you have the draft coming up in two weeks, where the Sixers have two first-round draft picks. You have free agency, where the Sixers are going to be contending with for. LeBron James, amongst others, you have possible trades with Kawhi Leonard being bandied about. So we, this needs to be solved ASAP. And right now, since he is alleged to have talked smack about all the Sixers, all the Sixers stars, basically, um, and revealed sensitive information about people on the team or people who have recently left the team, uh, you know, it had to be dealt with. And so we sat for eight days, and basically people just tweeted, and we're waiting for. Uh, the great NBA reporter uh, Woj, Adrian Wojnarski, is that how you yes. pronounce it? Wojnarski. Uh, we were just waiting for, for a Woj bomb for him to just tweet, all right, the deal is done, Colangelo is gone, and it never happened for, well, it didn't happen for eight days. Now, the reason we had a lot of, we enjoyed this story is because uh, it's a lot of fun, and I think they mentioned this in a couple other places, like, this is a fun story to speculate about. Obviously, there's people that are hurt and, uh, you know, the Colangelo family, and uh, you know that stinks for them. Uh, but there, you know, nobody was murdered, nobody was cheated on, nobody was uh, uh, in the in the world that we have of you know salacious stories. This is one where the speculation is kind of fun, and it's relatively lighthearted. Right. Um, Let me ask so, you this question. Um, yeah. Let's say that the Sixers had made it to the finals. Okay. Yes. Um, one. And I'll ask this question in two parts and let you answer one at a time. Um, do you think the ringer would have blown this up the day before the finals if the Sixers were in the finals? Uh, like, do you think they were working on a deadline? Or do you think, do you think back to what we said earlier, they were like, oh, here's a day in between two game sevens and the start of the finals when there's no basketball where we can drop a huge bomb into... Oh, no, they dr- definitely dropped it on time. It's the way they described their scenario that when they reached out to the Sixers, which was about a week prior to when they released the story... So essentially um, about a week after their season had ended. So, the se- you know, they were done playing basketball. Okay. Yeah, I, I, think, if, I think they could have... They could have. I think they would have waited to release it until it maybe. I don't. I would have. I think they would have waited to, until they were done playing basketball. Till after the finals. Okay, that's fair. How pissed would you and the uh, Philly, sorry, Philadelphia 76ers Twitter been if they had done that before your first game of the finals? Furious. And there's already there was already uh, talk, you know, amongst people because the Ringer is obviously a, a website created by Bill Simmons, noted Boston fan. It has a. It does have a, a big Philly contingent, obviously, as writers. But uh, the creator, owner, uh, designer, and brains behind the Ringer is a diehard Celtics fan and Boston fan. So already, people are saying that it was done to try to keep LeBron from coming to the Sixers. If they had done it and the Sixers made the finals, there would have been apocalypse. Rock. Yeah, it would have been. There would have been a very dark turn against Bill Simmons and the Ringer if they had done it then. Right, and ironically, I, it does seem that like at least fifty-five percent of his staff are Philadelphia fans. But that you know, whatever, he is the boss, including my former college uh, uh, friend from college, who I, I pledge a fraternity with, John Gonzalez. Yeah, he's doing well. Good for him. Yes, shout out to John. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so really interesting story. Really good and gossip. I'm hoping that the end of the story 
is a big swerve, a chair shot to Bill Simmons, in that the Sixers end up with the a better GM who is either who's the guy who's Danny Ainge's like right hand man who everybody wants as their next GM. I'm not sure. Uh, they, they've got like this guy, this prime candidate, young up and comer on the Celtics in yeah. their front office. I, I'm hoping that it could be we steal him to manage our team for, for the foreseeable future. Or we get, uh, what's his name, David Griffiths, who was the uh, the GM of the Cavs, who was let go last year. Yeah, who's very good. Very good, yeah. And then that shepherds LeBron over to Philadelphia. Either way, I'm not crying about losing Brian Colangelo. I think we're going to be a net, it's going to be a net game. What, okay. Like, what do you think about the rumors that, of? and this is obviously more salacious than anything, but of Hanky coming back. Any belief in that? I, Any desire for that? I would die. I, would l- I think that would be amazing. Philadelphia would have a party, but there's no way the ownership would eat crow like that. I mean, these are investment bankers. Yeah, they will. They will not. Um, they'll not admit defeat, and they'd have to go back with the tail between their legs, and they won't do that. Right. Okay. Speaking of tails between legs or lack thereof, yes. let's switch gears. <laughs> nice let's, segue. Let's switch gears to the world. The world champion, and by world we mean the only country that plays the sport really is America. But the Super Bowl champion. <laughs> Philadelphia Eagles, I'm sure it feels good to hear that. Um, they, like so many other champions before them, um, you know, they've got some trepidation and some, some, some uh, you know, derision on whether they wanted to go to the White House or not, you know, which is not a new story at all. Uh, President Trump and the NFL owners are fresh off of making another debacle over the national anthem policy of the NFL. Um Many Eagles players said, we're not going to the White House. And then the president, of course, said, you're no longer invited, which, again, great, great threat. But I don't think you understand how a threat works. They already weren't coming, Um, which is not surprising. So anyway, what's going on with the Eagles being disinvited to the White House by President Trump after they told him they didn't want to go? I mean, what's the buzz in Philly? How are you feeling about it? What's going on? Yeah, just think about about how I'm feeling. I'm dealing with this... Uh, the heart racing saga of the Sixers GM situation and following Twitter all day trying to see if there's any updates and then all of a sudden this blows up between the Eagles and the, and the president it was I'm not going to say it was fantastic but it, there was just good content for a couple of days straight uh, we were in the national news and some of it for not great reasons but it was still very interesting yeah uh, it made it otherwise Dreary Monday, Tuesday earlier this week. Very interesting. Um, well, I'll say, like, th- listen, I, I think we, uh, we've all expressed, uh, maybe uh, not directly, but we, we, everybody kind of knows where we stand politically speaking, like you and I, or specifically I. And we, won't, we don't have to get into that, or we can kind of, we don't have to get into that tonight. Yeah, we don't need to. I don't, we... don't want to deal necessarily with the, uh, the facts of the case. I, I want to stick with that because. There's a lot of he said, she said over, over, oh, the Eagles said they were going to bring a full contingent, and then two days before said they were only going to bring 10 players, and then they tried to change the date and whatever. I don't know who's telling the truth of that story. All I know is that the day before uh, they were supposed to go, they were uninvited. And if it is the case, and I can, I can see how a reasonable human being would say, we invited a team and only 10% of them are coming or so. You know what? That's going to be a bad look for me. I'm going to cancel. Sure. I may disagree with that, but I can I can see how a human being would do it. Somebody, especially a politician who has a big ego, I understand that. 
Yeah. Where I have a big problem is what he did after that is where he immediately tried to demonize the, the, the team and frame the players as the specific Eagles players as disrespecting the military and disrespecting law enforcement. Um, and I think that started to really peeve the Eagles fans off. Eagles fans who are, despite the team being, tends to lean heavily towards social justice issues and seems to be very progressive, including their owner, the Eagles fans are split, I would say, fairly evenly. Yeah, that's what I was going to get into, which is, you know, whether the players are or aren't uh, Trump supporters or not, or all going or not, most of the Philadelphia Eagles fans that I can think of when I think of the city of Philadelphia and the Eagles fans, I bet voted for Trump. Not the whole, and I'm not saying the whole city did, and clearly you're saying that probably yeah, half the fan base all. did. But my point is, how could they not know that like there's so many suburban and rural Eagle fans that are Trump supporters that when you demonize what can only be called unquestionably the greatest heroes in a generation of Philadelphia sports. That is not uh, Like, where's the look there? What a terrible look. Yeah, and, and I mean, I only got to go to one Eagles game this year, uh, but while I was there, I was surrounded by, not surrounded, but there was no shortage of T-shirts saying, like, we stand for the anthem and all that stuff. Right. Um, but wouldn't you say that people love the Eagles more than they love, like, what Donald Trump says, especially if he's attacking the Eagles? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love the Eagles more than any political ideology. Right. <laughs> more, than, more than many things. More than, many, uh, more than most friends and many relatives. I love the Eagles. So that, I think a lot of that is shared uh, from most fans. Right. Um, so when, when he's, and the thing is, is we had heard the Eagles have been relatively vocal. A lot of the players have been vocal about, you know, things like, uh, you know, the school-to-prison pipeline all year or social justice issues. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the unfairness of the, the, the prison, uh, prison reform and uh, all, all sorts of things. But, you know, what you also have, on the other hand, you also have seemingly very conservative players on the team. Yes. Um, very, you know, religious, uh, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, there's a, there's a number, Lane Johnson is from Oklahoma, seems to be very a relatively conservative guy. But the thing is, everybody was a class act about it. Everybody got along, just like we all do in normal life at, a, at, a, at all of our jobs. Right, those of us who have to be held accountable, we all get along. Yeah, exactly. The, the players who thought what they thought, they were, they were thoughtful with their explanations, and they went, but like the people who were talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and that there's uh, the police reform, they went out and spoke with police, with police officials. They did ride-alongs. They did all sorts of things. And they were able to kind of explain their case and say, you know, listen, I love the military. I support law enforcement. I understand the difficulties and complexities of the job. But there's a bias here. There's, you know, uh, people of color are being unfairly affected by some of these biases, implicit or explicit. Um, and it was thoughtful. And whether you agreed or disagreed, you could say they have a stand and there's reason behind it and they seem like good people. I could probably sit down and have a, have a meal with them. So when the president came out and tried to specifically frame the Eagles as being disrespecting the military and disrespecting law enforcement, uh, I think that was a big help to, to, to anti-Trumpers because you had all these Trump fans who live in Philadelphia who have heard these explanations from players like Malcolm Jenkins and from Chris Long, uh, who have 
who are players who have donated salary, who have uh, done a bunch of charity work and, and spo- been very outspoken about the, these issues. And they knew, they've heard the backstory, they know that these guys are, are doing it, again, whether they agree or disagree, they're doing it out, out of, from their heart. Um, and I think that really backfired on Trump. And then when uh, the White House and Trump said that they, the team had abandoned their fans by not, by not going to this event, um, that didn't necessarily play well with the base here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, um, and that's how you can tell that not only are they – I mean, again, this is not a political statement. This is just a statement of like their ability to do their jobs well. Right. Um, they're so tone deaf on the fact that sports – Unites strong, like successful sports. Like, okay, if Trump wanted to divide the Browns fans who went 0 16 last year, real easy to do. <laughs> you know? So easy. But we're talking about a team that won its first and only Super Bowl and its first championship in like 65 years. Well, yes. So, with a, with, so, with a very vocal fan base who has been, who has suffered with them right. for decades. And I would just say that the Eagles are higher than, you know, Unless you happen to believe in God, really strong listeners, the Eagles are higher than God for most kind of like fair weather Catholics, let alone Trump, let alone politics, let alone policy, let alone standing, sitting or kneeling, which are all First Amendment rights of freedom of expression. And so the big thing is, how does his dumbass staff still not know that sports champions are more important than anything to anybody, including the... You know, the, the damn comb-over duck-face moron. That's, by the way, how do you guys think I really feel? Wow. Gavin, please. No, because, Dan, listen, you and I haven't even had a phone conversation in, like, five months because of how pissed off I was at the, the Patriots lost the Super Bowl of the Eagles. And here I am vehemently defending the Eagles. Screw that guy. It's ridiculous. I will say I need a little more distance to make this an accurate assessment, but I've had this conversation with multiple people over the last few months. This pre this Eagles team, this iteration of the Eagles team, is the most beloved Philadelphia sports team in my lifetime. Yeah, of course uh, it is. And so to come out and criticize them when and they're not beloved they are beloved A primarily because they were so successful on the field, sure. But then almost to a man they're all uh, just really good human beings behind the scenes. Sure. So try to paint them as being unpatriotic and non-military when they're donating tons of money, when they're, you know, really doing walking the walk out in the community in between. Right. Day well, it's just you know more lies from a pathological liar, and, and you know what highlighted it was that you know they're having the White House is releasing is releasing these statements that are just trying to fan the flames, and Trump is giving you know these sound bites criticizing the players and the Eagles organization responds same day with like a very milquetoast statement just sort of being like hey we're proud of our success this year we support the players we're looking forward to having a great 2018-2019 season like just didn't say anything the players are kind of going back and forth the day after this announcement was made and kind of just shrugging they they were kind of uh, uh, it was a little uh, they couldn't believe they were in this position and then the next day you see this garden party that they have Trump comes out, says a few words about patriotism and how people should stand for the anthem and respect the flag and do all that. Uh, it looks like some sort of pregame to the Charlottesville Torch March last year, uh, or that ex- expanded garden party from the Get Out movie. It, huh. it was just it was just people in not Eagles fans in blazers just sitting around and the Marine marching band 
the Marine Band playing some patriotic tunes for about 30 minutes. It was a really surreal, strange scene. By the way, he had nothing better to do for those 30 minutes than to listen to music and not know the words to songs. Uh, it was bizarre. And then that same day, the you know, there's reporters from now all around the country are at the Eagles training camp that day, or the, the Eagles facility that day for... They had a practice that they were supposed to be at the White House, but they ended up just having a practice. So everybody's locker is surrounded by reporters. And every Eagles player was either saying, like, listen, I'm just trying to do my job. I'm focusing on the season ahead. I'm not getting involved in that. Or it was, you know, Malcolm Jenkins didn't say a word, but just held up posters uh, talking about, you know, prison reform, talking about we need to focus on the issues that matter. And also, high, uh, you know, players like Tory Smith and, and Carson Wentz and Howie and, and Chris Long and Colin Kaepernick, who have, are, you know, actually acting as patriots. And like I said, I have a lot of things that I disagree with Colin Kaepernick, uh, but yeah, sure. you, you can't say he he's not doing something he believes in. He's not walking the walk. He's donating the money. He's kind of sacrificed his career uh, for these issues. And you can't say he's not a. You can't help but respect him for that. Right. Um, and like they just came back as just thoughtful men uh, with their response sure. uh, and it was just very the juxtaposition was very clear uh, and uh, exposed right to the pre- yeah and I just think that clearly a guy who doesn't understand patriotism or sports it the, one of the biggest places he can erode his own base from um, is going after world champions and cities with with the conservative base because they they're gonna love their championship team more than their politicians, bar effing yeah. none, bar none. Yeah, um, and that, yeah, let's, that fan let's, base goes from South Jersey, Delaware, and from Eastern and Central Pennsylvania. So it's a that's a pretty big group that he's pissing off. And I was going to say, uh, I would, I started to chalk this up as just, oh, it's another unforced error by Trump, like because it was a needless argument. I didn't have to get into this, um, but. It wasn't an unforced error. It was something. It was intentionally done. Like this language was used intentionally to inflame it, and that's ten times worse because it makes it sinister. Like this was well, of course. But I just think that it is, with, with, with sports champions, you're always going to lose, even if you drum up business and drum up excitement. It's you're going to lose fans locally. You're going to lose four cities a year, assuming different cities win each championship each year in the major sports. Speaking of that, last night our capital city. Uh, the Washington Capitals won their first ever Stanley Cup trophy. And I, the only reason I want to bring this up is because my favorite part is today, of course, the president heaped praise on the Capitals for winning. He found a way to self-congratulate that there are so many th- great things happening in right now in Washington. Um, but also singled out Alex Ovechkin. And some would say, well, he's our captain. He's our best player. But I would say, well, he's the, the Russian player. Um, right. And uh, my favorite part is it'll be interesting to see how many capitals do or do not go to the White House. And more importantly, how many of them will be Russian and or Canadian versus American, considering most hockey players are not American anyway. Well, this is becoming a very strange thing. And I hope after the Trump administration, this goes back to normal because they've already de- Trump already disinvited the NBA teams after they both said neither of them are coming. Yes. Now, it's going to turn into a thing where only... NHL teams and NASCAR winners and who knows. Uh, right, but the irony is that the 99% of the guys on NHL rosters are not from America. Yeah, of, of, of strong percentage. And and those that are from America, I would say, would you say more often than not, are 
come from a conservative background, perhaps. Well, maybe. I think a 50-50. Yeah, that, 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 but it's not really an ideological thing. It's just that, like, you know, the sport that he's now going to hang his hat on because the fan base happens to be overwhelmingly at least white, which he clearly has a, you know, a huge affinity for people who happen to be that persuasion. Um, you know, again, Russians and Canadians mainly, you know. So, but I have a question for you. Outlandish theory, Dan. Yes. If and when a Canadian team wins the Stanley Cup again, you know, will they be invited to the White House? And if the Toronto Raptors ever win the NBA championship, will they be invited to the White House? I don't think so, no. Would they get invited to wherever Prime Minister Trudeau lives? Yeah, except for hockey, definitely not. Hockey will go to Ottawa. Sure, but what about basketball? Isn't that kind of a strange thing to think about because there's only one Canadian team? Well, what did the Blue Jays do? Great question, and the Blue Jays won 25 years ago, so I don't know. Good uh, outlandish theory, though, right? Yeah, I wonder if the Blue Jays went to the, see the Prime Minister of Canada. Right. Even though 90% or 100% of their players were not Canadian. Correct. So there's some interesting things there. All right. But anyway, with the, with the NBA especially, I mean, football's different because so many of the players are American. Got it. Almost all of them are, almost all of them are American. Not all of them, but almost all of them. But in baseball, you've got tons of guys from the Caribbean, from South America, from Central America, from all over the place. In basketball, it's a very international sport. And in hockey, again, I think 90% of rosters are like Canadian and or European. So the fact that we're making a big deal out of who's going to the White House and not, when they're not even voting citizens, is hilarious too. Uh, it's, I, I, uh, yeah, this is, it's annoying that this is politicized. Correct. But anyway, good for the Caps. I know they're a big rival. Of uh, the Flyers, but um, uh, congrats! Yeah, they deserved it. They earned it. Yeah, their fan base really turned out. I did not know they had a. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. DC is a front-running town, no matter what. But I do believe, really? in in general, hockey fans tend to be more tried and true than any other sport. And I do think that Capitals mania is the reason they had all those people outside of their building last night for a road game. But. People who were inside the arena last night watching it on the Jumbotron and the fact that 35% of the fans in Vegas were wearing Capitals jerseys, good for them. A long-suffering fan base, waited 40-something years, 44 years for a title. Good for you guys. Well, that, that's going to be that's the, the downside of having a team in Vegas is that anytime you're in the playoffs, your building will never be 100% for you. People are going to travel to Vegas. Sure. Hey, real quickly, what did you make of their Game of Thrones ask openings that they were showing on television every night live from Vegas? Uh, I thought it was so. I thought it was uncomfortable personally. I don't. At the. I thought it was weird. I felt like I was at um, medieval time. Yeah. And it just. It made no sense to me. I didn't. I didn't care for it one bit. Put it that way. I just remember what the the first game, the game one of the series. They had Chris Angel there. They had. Uh, uh, I don't know who else was there. It was like it was just weird. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not for it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't understand it. I don't know. I feel I feel 90 years old when I watch that. Yeah, it's definitely another twist on hockey intros for sure. Um, all right, let's get into. And by the way, let's pour some out for the great Anthony Bourdain. Rest in peace. Found dead yes. today. Uh, I believe of an apparent suicide. Is that correct? Yes. That uh, that that is that's the report. Now you uh, are, are, I would put you in the category, at least when we live in Philadelphia together, as a foodie. Um, your, your wife is a heck of a cook. I think she's a foodie as well. Um, this, this guy was much more than just a chef and a foodie. He was a storyteller. He was an adventurer. Um, you know, what's going on? How are you making sense of this thing? It's pretty crazy news. Yeah, it was, it was one of those things that 
this happens, I feel like, more and more frequently these days. You get something across the wire, usually on the Twitter feed. When I say the wire, I mean... You mean the Twitter feed? Yeah. Uh, And some of the, you know, there's news that just shocks you and one of those things that you just, I could not believe it. I thought it was a fake headline and I had to do a quick deeper dive to find out, oh no, this is this is the truth. Um, and I, there's things like when Prince died, it was shocking. When Michael Jackson died, it was shocking. Um, when Tom Petty died, it was shocking. But like, uh, Bourdain was strange. The, the manner in which he died was shocking to me. If he had just passed like Tom Petty passed, you know, it would be like one thing. Yep. But for him to, for, to commit suicide was surprising to me. Not that we didn't all know if you followed him just a little bit. He had a dark side. That was clear. Um, but he was very open about all of his struggles, it seemed, and all of his emotions and feelings and seemed to wear, wear them on his sleeve. Uh, so it's not like he was keeping things in, you know, to the outside observer. Yeah. Um, so to find out that he... Did it, and he did it in where his very close friend Eric Repair, esteemed chef, French chef, was in the area. He was shooting the uh, the an episode of No Verge or uh, Parts Unknown um, in France. It, it just it was just a shock. Everything seemed to be clicking, and I guess that's the uh, uh, that's the evil genius of mental illness, but. Um, Yeah, it it was surprising, and what what also surprised me was not just what happened, and I knew, I always had an affection for him for a couple of different reasons, Um, but just to see from all corners uh, the thoughts and prayers, uh, the personal stories and connections to him uh, that came out from people I didn't expect, but it really shocked me, because I always liked Anthony Bourdain, I didn't realize seemed like everybody was an Anthony Bourdain fan. Yeah. Uh, right? the... God. It, it was just, a, and I, I was trying to make sense of that. Like, oh, yeah, he had a show on for 15, 18 years on either CNN or Food Network or Travel Channel. And he wrote some books. and But he was never, like, an necessarily A-list, you would think. Um, but I think because he was around for so long and because he crossed over so many genres in that he was a... A, sh- well, a chef of some esteem, you know, he was a fic- uh, considered like a wor- a blue collar chef in in, uh, in New York, where he could like take over a restaurant and fix it. Yep. wasn't necessarily a creative genius, but he could you know write the ship. Uh, and then he became a- an excellent writer. Uh, and everybody wrote bo- uh, what was his what was the the first famous book? I forget, but everybody read it. It was fantastic. It might have been Kitchen Confidential. I yeah, know. I think it was. Uh, Kitchen Confidential. Everybody read that book, and then he started with the shows. And then the more you learn of him, especially this latest CNN show, he he is a movie buff, and like the cinematography of a CNN show is unbelievable. And you know he's a huge music fan. Uh, he just crossed. It could everybody could you could relate to him on a number of different levels. And some people had uh, a lot of different cross uh, cross references with his. He was a former addict that he t- talked openly about that. So I just feel like. You could relate to him on some. Anybody could relate to him on some level. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they could talk about, oh, he was a personalized story for me because X, Y, and Z. But like, I feel like everybody has like a moment where like, oh, I connected to Anthony because of yeah. Um, and that's why it's just a shame because he was friend. Everybody enjoyed him. Everybody was friendly with him. <laughs> I feel like though, reading a little more today, I feel like he was lonely. Mm, uh, yeah, maybe. 
because he was traveling <clears throat> across the world most of the time. He didn't really have a home base anymore. And he, I, re- I read some article, I forget if it was in the New Yorker profile they did of him last year, which was like 10 page. It was like a huge, long movie. Um, I think it was in that where they were saying, like, yeah, he becomes great friends with people for a week and then never sees them again, like with his show, because he's a very genuine character. He goes down there and meets the fixers and meets the restaurateurs in these different cities, and he has genuine, friendly interactions with them and then never sees them again. He's right. like, that's basically his life now. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of, like, his friends were, like, the crew. That was it. Right, um, right. He's he's living, <clears throat> he's kind of on tour. You know, people who are yeah, typically mu- musician types or whatever, you know, they tour, and it's lonely, <clears throat> and the tour ends, and some of them hate it because they don't like being home, but some of them love it because they get to reestablish their roots. Um you know, he's on location all the time, and it seems as if maybe he worked and worked and worked and worked just so he wouldn't have to ever go home. And, yeah, you know, he sounded like he, yeah, he couldn't slow down. Right. And so part of that is, yeah, he's lonely because he can't slow down, but in some ways he can't slow down because he's lonely, not to make it trivial, but, you know, it feeds itself after a while, and, you know, you're, you're getting offered more shows, and you probably have a crew and a cast and agents and business people and... <laughs> other folks that you're trying to take care of and uh yeah man it's, it's really sad it was pretty crazy i mean i i less than most people i definitely knew who he was i definitely liked his work um but to your point the amount of whether they were famous people or people that i know who i didn't know liked him personally who all felt compelled to say something today uh about his death and about missing him and about how they connected as you alluded to Pretty impressive and also really just sad that, that with all that connection in this world, he still, you know, unfortunately was too, was too whatever to, to, to continue. And that's just, that sucks. Yeah. And he did a, he started off being sort of like, I think he wanted to be like sort of a rock star, chef type guy personality. In the last, you know, and that was the first couple of years, as he became more comfortable on camera and more comfortable with himself, he produced some fantastic shows. Um, and I would recommend any of the shows in Southeast Asia when he went to Laos and I think he went to Vietnam like six times. Uh, I recommend the first and second Lebanon shows on his No Reservation show. Um, the first one he went during the Israeli-Lebanese war unplanned. It broke out while he was there. Wow. Uh, and then he came back. I think it was actually in, in the parts unknown. He came back to Lebanon. Uh, about two years ago, and but that was during the Syria crisis, and he was able to talk to, you know, Hezbollah supporter. It was just a very interesting show. He would do deep dives, and then locally, locally, I mean, with the U.S., if you want to do a, see some really interesting work, and I think it's going to go down in, in a journalistic sense as some great uh, content. Is his show in Houston last year, or was it two years ago? He did the Houston scene, and it came out right before the election, and I'm. Not, I don't think that was a coincidence, but it just talked about the power of immigrants uh, and focused on the, the Houston communities down there. And then he just did a couple months ago, uh, West Virginia. Um, yeah. And some, somebody else said, and I, I agree with this, I rewatched it this evening. Uh, he's the only journalist that came down, and the West Virginians were happy with the product. Uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, put them as like country bumpkins or toothless yokels. They, they had nothing in common politically. And that way you could see that, but they were they found common ground, and it was really interesting for him to to relate to them on a human level. And a lot of, not a lot of people do that; they don't go beneath the surface. And he did that, so yeah. kudos to him for that. 
Yeah, what a what a personality, what a what a what a guy to find relation. I mean, again, the guys made meaningful relationships one week at a time all over the world, and yeah. then picks it up the next week and does it with somebody else in a completely different culture, setting, cuisine, what have you. So, really good for him. Tip of the hat there, and really sad that he, uh, you know, decided that he didn't want to, you know, keep it rolling, both literally and figuratively. So, I say we make. Patrons, the patron state of the freestyle for at least the rest of the year. Okay, for the rest of 2018, at Dan's advice, we will uh, make him the unofficial patron saint, or the official patron saint of the freestyle at this point. Uh, yeah. Why not? <clears throat> so sure, We'll make that good decision. Absolutely. All right, Dan, well, listen, we'll, we'll get you back on, I'm sure, before Game of Thrones comes back, but I appreciate you coming oh, in. Oh, I can't wait, Gav. I can't wait. we got six or seven left, buddy. We'll probably should do a preview show. And then do weekly stuff. And then at some point we should do like a life after Game of Thrones show too, you know? But anyway. I don't I can't name three characters right now. It goes out of my head immediately. So well, when they take off two years at a time, and I, I, I don't blame you. You're a father. You have a job. You're, you know, you're trying to follow Twitter game with Brian Colangelo and Trump game oh, with the Eagles. Oh, follow Sixers with Ham Sinky and that leg sanity. Sixers Twitter. It's very interesting. Absolutely. And anyway, follow us on the Filibuster Freestyle any, anywhere. Instagram, Facebook, filibusterfreestyle.com. Follow me at Gavin Viano. Dan, do you want to give people your Twitter handle or is that a no-go? Uh, yeah, you can check me out if you'd like to see uh, pictures of my kids, dad jokes, or uh, things railing against the federal government or Sixers stuff. Uh, you can follow me at, at Dan O'Brien underscore. At Dan O'Brien underscore. All right, Dan, stick around for a minute. We will catch up. Everybody else. I got more freestyles coming this weekend. I got some Preakness, I'm uh, sorry, Belmont Stakes Triple Crown stuff. I got some NBA Finals breakdown. Game Force tonight, it might be the end of the Finals. We're going to have a big weekend here. We're binging it on the freestyle for all y'all. Dan, thanks for being on, man. Thank you, Gav. Great to be back. No doubt. All right, folks, that was Dan O'Brien, as you know. Uh, a couple things. One, not really sure what's up with Dan's sound tonight. Uh, he was in and out. I haven't done the playback yet to listen to it, but there were some points where he was very clear and some points when he wasn't very clear. Sorry for the audio trouble. Also, yeah, I did go off a little bit on El Presidente about the Eagles thing. Um, honestly, it's not political. It's just the lying and the self-aggrandization. That's it. That's all. So for any of my folks who happen to be conservative listeners, honestly, it's not about the politics in this case. It's about... You know, again, I'm not an Eagles fan. I'm a Patriots fan. If anybody should like that the Eagles are getting, like, dragged through the coals for not showing up at the White House, it should be Patriots fans. But, as Dan alluded to, these dudes do care about the police. They do care about the military. There are conservative guys on the team. And just the way they were taken down is unfortunate. And also, as I alluded to, it's really short-sighted because both conservative and liberal people in Philadelphia love the Eagles more than anything else. That's all I was trying to say. Sorry I lost my cool, everybody. If you stayed along this long, good for you. It's the Freestyle. We'll talk to you soon.